Tonight we are in Ephesians chapter 4, and I would like you to stand tonight with me and honor the reading of God's Word. It's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also, he who has ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we have all, att all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'm going to stop there. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. As we take a look at this text tonight, it's been a couple of weeks, I believe, since we were in Ephesians. We didn't have church last week. And so as we I want to remind you, if you look back at the beginning of the chapter, there is a, an appeal, a call to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that we have received and the calling that we have received. Now, he talks about humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Then he points out in verse 4, there's just one body. There's just one Spirit. There's just one hope of the calling that we have. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So last week, he really made this appeal towards unity, right? As we want to live a life worthy of the calling, he points out we're all in the same body. We're all in the same faith. What's interesting tonight, as we study in this, in verse 7, starting there, and especially down in verse 11, is that within the body, there are some different giftings that he's given us. In other words, God is building us up into his church, and he's doing that in different ways. He needs different people to do it. As we study through Ephesians, we see that we are being built into that temple. We are described as the building. When we first come to Christ, you think about it, the walls are framed in, the roof is put on, but the work is not yet finished. Now comes the time when we have to complete the house. We still have to put in the insulation, the sheetrock, the flooring, the appliances. And so when Christ calls us into the church, he doesn't just leave us and say, good luck. Instead, he begins to mold us into the image of Christ. You know, a big term for that is sanctification or the process by which God is making us holy. But he does that to us individually, but he also uses that to continue to build us up and finish the work he started on the church. In other words, why is it in this body we all have different gifts? Because he's building up a building, and he needs different people to do that. Some of us might be electricians, plumbers, or carpenters, but each of us have a role to play, and Christ uniquely equips us all. I want you to keep that in mind as we study through this text, that each one of us has a gift. Some of you, I'm still trying to figure out what yours is, and uh, it's Sunday night, so it's make fun of Bobby on Sunday night. That's what we do, right? If, oh, Mr. Bobby. All right, kids in the back, it's Mr. Bobby, so we have to, we have to be careful. You guys, you guys missed a, a good joke from that, but I'm going to leave it there and just let her um, get me in trouble. So, Verse 7, 
says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, to each individual, to each person, there is a gift that is given, a grace that is given towards us. And this is not the only place where we are mentioned that we are given spiritual gifts. And so we could go through all of those at another time and go through in detail what we think each of those gifts mean. But for now, I want to know that each of us have a diversity of gifts. In a few verses, we're going to examine some more of those gifts. But before we get there, I want you to look where, notice in verse 8, he begins to quote something. My Bible has that in all capitalizations to let me know he's, they're quoting the Old Testament. Verse 8 says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, it's a really strange quote. And you kind of wonder, why did, he, why did he quote that? That goes back all the way to Psalm 68. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. If you look at verse Psalm 68 down in verse 18, you will find the quote that Paul is using here. It says, You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. When you look back at the verse in the Old Testament, it's a psalm. Really, the imagery there is a picture of a triumphant God leaving Sinai and ascending up on Mount Zion. It's a psalm that is giving us the imagery as the people have come in to the nation of Israel, to the promised land. God is ascending on Mount Zion, and he's leading a host of captives with him. You might notice some things if you go back into Ephesians 2 that are worded slightly different. Here, we don't have God coming on. I don't believe we have the imagery of God coming up Zion, but it's to remind us of that. But here, instead of God doing this on Zion, it is Christ who has ascended above all things. And all you have to do is look back in, in chapter 1. When you look down at verse 20, it says, uh, sorry, the end of verse 20, it says, He raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, that Christ is the most highly exalted. He's above all things. There's no one greater than he. He's ascended on high. Here it says he has led a host of, of captives, uh, uh, led captive a host of captives. And then it says he gave gifts to men. What's interesting, if you were careful when you read it in Psalm 68, is it was actually the opposite. In Psalm 68, they gave the gifts to God. And you wonder, well, was Paul just confused, maybe, when he quoted this? Did he misquote it? Um, he is an author of Scripture, so if he wants to tweak things a little bit, I guess that he can. But I was wondering, well, what in the world could this mean? Well, you have an, this imagery, and actually, if you read some of the text around it, and if you begin to study what scholars and, and Jewish scholars have said about this passage, there's an idea with this word where they gave gifts to God, it's sort of like if you captured somebody and the army went out and they got all the spoils of war. When they came back, what did they do with that spoils? They gave it to the king, right? In this case, they gave it to God as he ascends on Mount Zion. But what does the king turn around and do with the spoils of war? 
He distributes them to his people. He uses them for the kingdom. But also, if you were to go back and take a look at, there's a, another theory of why Paul did this. But if you were to go back and don't turn there, but chap, Numbers chapter 8, Numbers chapter 18, in those passages, not only is it the spoils of war, he takes from the people a tribe. He takes the Levites in those passages. They're taken from Israel. They're given to God. Then they're giving back to the people as those who had worked in the temple and assure the community could worship God. In other words, he said, I have taken these people for myself, but I'm putting them to use for the kingdom. They're going to be my servants so that you can worship in the temple. And I think both of those contexts really make sense for why Paul uses this quote from Psalm 68. God has taken people out of the church, out of the world, called them, made them ministers to serve. He has given us all gifts that we would now serve in the church. And I think that's what he's hinting at. Verses 9 and 10 appear to be a little bit easier to interpret for us. He says, now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he had also descended into lower parts of the earth? I believe, and there's people that come up with all sorts of things about what that means. There's some different theories. I simply think this. What does it mean that Christ descended? What do you think? You can answer. You got to answer loud enough I can hear you, though. What does it mean that Christ descended? He came to earth, right? So I think the clearest, re most reasonable explanation is simply the incarnation. That Christ himself left the glory of heaven and took on a body like yours and mine, was born of a virgin. It's Christ who not only came and lived here as a man, but was dead and buried in the earth. And now he's far above all things. I mean, don't you remember the beautiful picture in the scripture in Acts where they're standing there? And he ascends into heaven, and they're just kind of sitting there waiting to see what happened. And the angel tells them, what are you waiting on? He's not coming back. And when you do, he'll, you'll know. But other, either way, he has ascended. He is there in heaven now. In verse 11, though, we get into what, or rather who, Jesus has given to the church in order for the building to be completed. Now, as we kind of discuss these groups, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, I don't even want you to think necessarily the official office of pastor, okay? But that God has given giftings to people, that there are certainly official roles in the church, but there are also giftings. There are also things that he's equipped men and, and uh, people to do as they go through, as they serve in the church. Look down at verse 11. It says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. All of these people were given to the church. So the church would be equipped and made ready. And the building would be built up. Now let's start. The, the first one there are, it says apostle. Somebody tell me, what is an apostle? Real question. Well, let me, let me start with the term you're most familiar with. How many apostles are there? It's kind of a trick question, but we normally think of it. There's, we think of the 12 apostles, right? Capital A, big letter. It's a title. It's an official place. We have the, the, uh, the 12 apostles that we think of. Who were they? You don't have to name their names, but who were they? Ordinary 
ordinary people, okay? What distinguished the apostles that we think of, the capital A, big apostles, from everybody else? They followed Jesus, right? And so we're mostly thinking of those that were the closest associated with Jesus. So his disciples, and then, of course, we lost Judas. He was replaced. And so we end up with uh, the 12 that are there, as well as Paul, who's a 13th. Uh, and so we have that. And so some people would say those are the only apostles, and there aren't any more. It's interesting, though, when you begin to read the text, uh, there are other people described as apostles. Barnabas, for one, is listed as, a, as an apostle. And you could go through, and uh, one, one scholar I read said there's as many as 83 people possibly referred to as apostles, and I, I don't think that is correct. Uh, but there are a few other people that are described as apostles. Sometimes in your Bible it's translated as messenger. And so we have to decide, well, are these apostles? Were, were we talking in this text, are we talking about just the original apostles that were called capital A, big official apostles? Or are we talking about those that served alongside them like Barnabas and Titus and others who would come along later and so uh, we have to consider that as we think about it though the word apostle means the sent out one one that's sent out in somebody else's name it could mean like an envoy almost like an ambassador you were sent out with a mission you were sent out with a task so some would say that this group does still exist today and some would say that there are no more apostles at all. And so we have to begin to reconcile with this. And so if there are apostles today, what are they? And should maybe we start an official apostle um, position here at the church? What do you guys think? I think the capital A apostles, the big apostles, are different. Because they were associated with Jesus in ways that were not. Uh, I have gone back and forth over the years as I've studied this passage and other ones. Well, what do we mean by apostles? I think the closest term, I'll be honest with you, I think the closest term to this today is the way it was used with, the, with sort of the secondary apostles is our word for missionary. You guys know that word doesn't occur in the Bible either, right? That's, that's a word that we've used but part of this means it's the sent out ones, those who are going forth, who are commissioned by the church, tasked with starting new churches. And I think the description fits the, uh, the idea here of sending out gifted men to start new churches in different areas, like many missionaries today, perhaps like church planters. Now, do I think we need to put an official title on that? I don't think we do. And I do think that if we begin to think about in detail the apostles and the prophets, that it, period is done. I believe that's finished. I don't believe that we have apostles in the sense of those first 12 apostles. But we do have people, I think, uniquely qualified and gifted to be sent out for the purpose of starting new churches, for going out into areas where the gospel is not there, to reach the lost. And so that is still there. I know it's confusing. And you know why it's confusing? Because you read the scholarship on this, and it is. And I could take a hard stance today and say, well, Apostles only account for the original was the one listed in the Bible, and we don't have it at all. But I want to be a little more cautious of that and tell you there are other places where it is where other people are described as apostles. But again, not, a, not in an official status. It's not like this person is the apostle of 
Forest Heights Baptist Church because Bobby didn't accept the position when I offered it to him. Mr. Bobby, Mr. Bobby or Mr. Apostle Bobby did not accept the position. Okay, so I don't think that's something that we need to be doing today. And you'll see many churches that do say, well, we have an apostle or we have this. Well, I think we need to clearly define what that means uh, in order to do so. The second in our list here, though, are prophets. Now, again, there's quite a bit of controversy. Well, what does Paul mean when he says that he gave people the gift of prophecy? At this time, you know, the Bible was not yet fully known. It was perhaps still necessary for God to use the New Testament prophets to reveal truth to the churches. One commentator says the prophet was one who was endowed by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy for the purpose of edification, comfort, encouragement, and further to understand and communicate the mysteries and revelation of God to the church. That's first coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, by the way, starting at verses 3 and verse 31. There the prophet had the task of edifying, building up the church. And I think that still in mind, if you consider, we have already talked in this book about the foundation being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I think we're mostly talking about the teachings of the Old Testament prophets that are laid out for us, that have been gifted to men. They were given to us. They were given to serve us. That's what the scripture tells us. They were serving us as they were proclaiming the word, bringing the gospel forth. And I think there's not prophets in this sense today. However, there are places where the gift of prophecy is listed. But I think in the New Testament, it functioned a little differently. For instance, with the Old Testament prophets, what they wrote in the scripture, we call that the word of God. We accept it as the word of God. In the New Testament, it said you've got to test those prophets. You've got to test every spirit of prophecy. And it doesn't function the same way as it did in the Old Testament. Now, I personally do not believe that there are prophets today. It seems to me that once the scripture were, was completed, once the canon process was done and we had the Bible, there was no need for new revelation. I will say, though, that I hold that view tentatively. This is an area that shouldn't be a major source of division among Christians. But at this time, when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, they just didn't have all the Bible yet. And I think there were times where people needed to be warned about their sin and encouraged to do the right thing. And I think that's what those prophets were for. You go back and read. We always think, when you think of a prophet, what do you think of? What do they do? Maybe tell the future, right? But when you go back and read most of the prophets in the Old Testament, are they mostly concerned about telling the future? They're actually not. They're mostly concerned about saying, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what God said, and if you would, don't repent, here's the judgment that's coming, right? That's what most of the prophets were doing. And I think that's perfectly fine in a New Testament church, right? Don't we need people sometimes to be discerning and recognize hey, this is sin, and this is what the Scripture has said about it. And I think especially in the early church, that was needed. And so that discernment was there. And I do think there was the gift of prophecy. And I, but I do also, there's some concerns, there's some questions I have, because in the list of prophecies, or in the list of the spiritual gifts, it does say that where there's prophecy, it'll cease. And so I do think we have to be careful today. And so if somebody comes up to you and they say, I'm a prophet, and I speak for God, don't listen to them. And if they say, I'm a prophet, 
And here's what I'm predicting. You might want to point out in the Old Testament that if you go look in the Scripture and you search them, it says if that prophet says something like that and it doesn't come true, you're to stone him. All right? So we, we don't want to be those kind of prophets. All right? So if somebody comes to you and say, I have a direct revelation. God is speaking to me. Here's what he said. I want you to be very careful to test whatever they said by the Scripture. Because more than likely, they're lying to you. And, uh, you know, you can manipulate people that way. So I'm a prophet. This is what God has told me. And this is what you need to do. That's how cults work. It's how all sorts of these kind of sects and different groups work. So don't buy that. But listen, these prophets, the apostles were the direct, you had these direct people that learned under Jesus filled with the Spirit, gifted. They're spreading the church. They're seeing the church grow. There's the prophets of the Old Testament. There's perhaps prophets. Well, we know there are prophets in the early New Testament church. People were prophesying, and they were encouraging people. They're saying, hey, let, listen, let's run this race. Here's where our sin is. Let's do it right, but let's build up the church. Their whole point of prophesying is to edify or build up the church. I want you to listen to one more verse about this before I, before I move on. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. I want you to hear that. Notice in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son, Jesus. Why do we need more prophets if we have the message that's been laid out for us? And I think that's the most important piece of this. When you, for instance, around Muslims, you know what they tell you? The problem isn't Jesus. You guys listen to Jesus. That's good. The problem is there was a prophet after him, and you guys didn't listen to him. Now, we could look back and go, well, first of all, that prophet's message, Muhammad's message, contradicts the Bible, right? But number two, we're not looking for another prophet. In fact, we are told in the New Testament that if somebody comes preaching a gospel that is not this gospel, Paul says, if I myself come and preach a gospel that is not this gospel, let that man be accursed. Because there's just one. We don't need a new revelation. Next in the text, we have evangelists. The next type of person that is gifted to the church is that of evangelists. There are men and women gifted at proclaiming the gospel to the lost. It can take place at church. It can take place outside of it. And while I'm sure the apostles did a lot of evangelism, this role wouldn't necessarily include starting new churches or pastoring. You can imagine the apostles have come in, they've established a church that's beginning to grow, but you still need to do outreach. But you know where those apostles were going? To the next town. Their job wasn't always to stay, but the evangelists would be there. There'd be men and women gifted in every church who could go out and proclaim the gospel to the lost, Right? Aren't there people, you ever been around somebody that just seemed gifted in that? And I have, and I don't know that that's me. But there are people that, that, can, that just seem like God just works through them as they proclaim the gospel. And they love it, they feed off of it, they're energized by it. But this role would have been at sharing the gospel in the local context. If you think of, Again, think about if an apostle was a missionary, for instance, and they were sent out to a place, uh, we've been praying for the family of Eli Elliot, 
as they move into the jungle of Brazil. He gets there, perhaps. We're hoping they get there in July. They finally arrive after all these years of training. They begin to start a Bible study, perhaps. They proclaim the gospel. Maybe a church begins to start. Over time, you know what? Eli and his family will move somewhere else. And in the meantime, they've got to train leaders, pastors, and evangelists to take over the ministry for them. That's their role. And those evangelists would probably come from that place, from those people. And so that, I believe, is what they're talking about here. He uses these gifts to build up his church. Next in the text, they're pastors. Next given here is pastors. And and even if he's not talking about the official church pastor, so right now you're thinking of, well, you're the pastor. But there's also men gifted at pastoring. There's people that have a gift of pastoring and leading. You know, the word means shepherding. It means a shepherd, though it was sometimes used in the Old Testament to mean leader or chief. The idea is that these men are gifted at leading the church as a shepherd cares for a sheep. This would include ministering to the troubled saints, exhorting and comforting all believers, and administering the activities in the local church. But this gift is given not just to lead pastors, but to others as well in varying degrees. Now, I truly believe this. I think the, old, the New Testament pattern The church of any size needs more than one person who is able to care for the flock. I think we we almost always see that. Usually, by the way, the word pastor is not used very often in the New Testament. It's usually, uh, we usually find it with elders. And I'm not nitpicking the the language, but when we find it with elders, it almost always occurs in the plural. So I do think that in any given flock, it may not be that we need more than one official pastor. But what we do need are more than one person who have giftings at pastoring the flock in any given congregation. Men who will lead, men who are able to teach. We need to have more than one person speaking into things, right? I I firmly believe that. I think that's the New Testament pattern that we have, in many cases, gotten away from. I think we fix that in most uh, Southern Baptist circles by hiring lots of people, right? So we have... We have a lead pastor, and in some churches there's an administrative pastor. And you can see, though, what they realize over time is they felt a need to have more than one person doing that, and so they created new titles. And I'm not, again, nitpicking even the titles, just saying that there is a need for people, men, to step up and use the gifts that God has given them. Of course, there's qualifications, there's things you have to look at, uh, but... Uh, I think it's very important for us to consider that. Now, one last thing, look at this. Look at verse 11. I have broken this off today as pastors, and then I've got a separate one for teachers. Okay, that's the last word. I think when you look at the Greek, the most clear explanation is that it kind of sets those two apart and is actually a pastor hyphen teacher. That those two go together. And one of the reasons I think that is when you look at deacons and you look at pastors and you look at the qualifications, right? What do you have to do or what do you have to meet in order to be a deacon or a pastor? You know, they're almost all character issues. Really, we're getting, is this a man of integrity? Okay, that's what we really want to know. Is he hot-tempered? Is he going to fight? And those, there's a lot of overlap between those two positions. But you know what the distinguishing characteristic is? 
the ability to teach. That's the one line in there that's so radically different between pastors and deacons. Is it differentiates. The pastor has to have the ability to teach. And so I do think there's a close connection between pastors and teachers. They need to be one and the same. Now, are there teachers who are not pastors? And the answer is yes. And I believe that. I believe God has gifted uh, people to, to teach who are not called to be pastors. And so while I think that these pastor-teacher is, is very, very closely related, uh, I will make the concession that there are people that are certainly pastors or certainly teachers who are not pastors, but all pastors teach. All pastors need to teach. How many of you have been influenced by a Sunday school teacher? Yeah, Sunday school teachers, there's people, there's a long line of people who've been teaching. They were taught by someone. And God has used that to build up the church. Where did you probably learn the most? Sunday school or Sunday morning worship? I heard church training back there. That's this program that I keep hearing about and I have no experience with. But it sounds like it was influential. Mr. Bobby says Rip taught him everything he knows. So I can blame Rip now. <laughs> oh, But you guys understand this, right? People, God gives us gifts of teaching. There's people I believe are called to teach. And he uses that to build up his church because that is the whole point of this passage. Next week we're going to go into more detail about what it means that he's building up his church. We're going to look at some of the... Uh, we don't want to be children. We want to be grown people. We want to be adults. And as adults, we don't want to be tossed back and forth by every wave of doctrine. We don't want to be, believe every philosophy and idea the world throws at us. And the part of this, we have the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the evangelists and the teachers. All that is building us up so that we would be mature. And when all those ideas come, we could go, yeah, that's not right. And we know because we got the teaching of the apostles and our pastors taught us and our Sunday school teachers taught us. And we don't have to believe that because we are now uh, being built up so that we will not believe that we are being grown and matured. But verse 12, all this again for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Who's it equipping in that text? Who's it say it's equipping? What does it mean if you're equipped? You have what you need, you're trained up, church training program, right? And so you're, you're trained up, you're equipped, and so you have pastors and teachers and all these, the apostles and all that, not so you put them on a pedestal, but so they can train people and equip them and turn the work over to you. Isn't that the job of the saints? That it's not just the pastor that does all this work. It's not just the prophets. It's not just the apostles. It's not just the evangelist that does evangelism, is it? Consider that for a second. There might be somebody uniquely qualified and gifted for it, but isn't that something that's been commanded of all of us? It certainly is. I certainly believe that. So we're going to be, we're going to be trained up, and as we go, all of this, 
We're equipped up for the, the saints. The body of Christ is being built up, verse 13, until this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are growing to be more like Jesus. And until we do that, well, we need to be equipping the saints. And we need to be going about his business and doing the work there. Now, this is a, this is a Sunday night, so I will let you ask questions if you'd like. If there's something you'd like to ask right now, anybody but Bobby can ask questions. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have given us apostles, people who knew you, people who walked with you and could declare the truth to us, many of whom who, many of whom wrote scripture for us. Father, I thank you that we have, we had the prophets who came even before them and, and those that were still at work and still calling people out of their sins and encouraging them to walk this life with you. Father, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the evangelists, for those that were faithful to bring me the gospel. Father, I thank you for the pastors that are serving all around this nation, around this world, those who are giving their lives for the kingdom. Father, I thank you for the faithful teachers, many who do it without appreciation, without reward, except that you see and you know all of their trouble. You know how they've spent hours preparing. And Father, we thank you for that. I thank you for all the teachers here in this church. Father, as we go in this time of invitation, God, I pray to be working in our hearts to help us to desire to serve you. Help us to use the gifts that you've given us. Father, I pray that as a church, we would be grown up. We would be made to grow into a full and complete building, a building that's, that's not lacking in anything because you always build perfectly. And Father, I thank you, and I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.